Good afternoon, Father. Toby here with you from London. And let's just begin with today's gospel from Matthew chapter 19. Some Pharisees approached Jesus and to test him, they said, is it against the law for a man to divorce his wife on any pretext, whatever? He answered, have you not read that the creator from the beginning made them male and female and that he said, This is why a man must leave father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two become one body. They are no longer two, therefore, but one body. So then, what God has united, man must not divide. They said to him, Then why did Moses command that a writ of dismissal should be given in cases of divorce? It was because you were so unteachable, he said, that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But it was not like this from the beginning. Now I say this to you, the man who divorces his wife, I'm not speaking of fornication, and marries another, is guilty of adultery. The disciples said to him, If that is how things are between husband and wife, it is not advisable to marry. But he replied, It is not everyone who can accept what I have said, but only those to whom it is granted. There are eunuchs born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs made so by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. Now, I remember it was this uh, passage that I preached my first homily on as a deacon, and I remember deciding that I would give a robust defense of marriage And then as I walked out into the church and looked at those present in the congregation, and it was mainly very old people, none of whom who seemed particularly agitating for permission for divorce and remarriage, and many of whom were widowed. When I saw this, I desperately wanted to change what I was going to say, but I didn't quite have the confidence to go off script. And I got one comment after the mass from one of the priests in the community who simply said to me, That was brave. And it wasn't really the sort of comment I was hoping for from my first homily. Now, it taught me something quickly about preaching, which is remember that you are preaching to people and therefore think about who you're preaching to. That's a reminder, not just to priests. But on this subject of of preaching to people, I was watching a video on YouTube of a Dominican of an interview with a Dominican friar from the US who I'm a big fan of, uh, Father Gregory Pine. And he was speaking about some of his discussions on the Camino with feminists about abortion. And he spoke about being approached by some women who immediately wanted to contest the Catholic Church's prohibition on abortion with him. Now, for me, there's a temptation when a non-believer in God engages you about an, an issue like abortion that you just think, well, they don't believe in God, so I'm going to leave God out of my answer. And it is perfectly possible to make a very good argument for why abortion is wrong without making religious claims. It's also the case that it's not just because of the science that I believe what I do about abortion. It's part of my worldview as a Catholic and my sense of life as a gift from God. And anybody speaking to me won't probably, uh, pro- properly understand why I feel so strongly about this without an understanding of this sense of life as a gift and as a gift from God. 
And part of what I love about being Catholic is that it helps me to see how so many different things fit together, how this particular thing relates to that. And thinking with the church gives me a much more coherent worldview than if I were to make up my mind about what I feel about any given thing. I mention all this because it struck me that compared with five years ago when the prohibition on divorce from Jesus in this gospel seemed the most controversial or at least the most difficult aspect of Jesus's teaching to accept, now it's perhaps the reaffirmation of the truth from Genesis, namely that male and female God created us. It's amazing to me that that would be such a controversial statement, if not in the church, but certainly in the public square. Because five years ago, I think that would have hardly raised an eyebrow. But I see now how divorce and transgenderism are not completely unrelated in a way that I might previously have thought. The book that I recently read, and which you might have heard me mention before, and that I definitely need to read again to take to fully take in many of the author's insights. This book brought about the interconnectedness of everything together for me, and I'd recommend it to anyone. It's called The Genesis of Gender, A Christian Theory by Abigail Favale. And in it, she speaks about how the concept of woman has become increasingly divorced from any biological reality. And at one point she makes the point that the chief virtue of humanity is receptivity to God, and that women are icons of receptivity to the gift of God in their capacity to receive and to nurture life within them, an embodiment of the spiritual reality of baptism and the growth of divine love within each of us, male and female. And she speaks of a number of waves of feminism, the first being the pursuit of women's suffrage, a good and important thing. And she identifies how subsequent waves started to divorce women from their given natures, so that the ideal of, of a woman essentially becomes a man, that true female emancipation would consist in becoming just like men. So feminism moves from its early days of being anti-abortion and pro-motherhood and pro the characteristically feminine virtues to seeing the greatest freedom for women is in being able to have sex like men free from obvious personal consequences and without the risk of pregnancy. That word risk is a horrible word to use around pregnancy, which is a gift something that those women who cannot conceive or carry a baby to term know all too painfully. What she goes on to say about what made the rift possible between women and their bodies, and therefore any idea of women which is grounded in an objective reality, is contraception. It's contraception which makes possible the idea that the default mode of a woman should be infertility. It's also contraception which makes possible the idea that a woman should be constantly available to a man and is a prude if she's not or is somehow lacking in sex drive. 
Contraception is perhaps a braver thing to preach on than divorce and remarriage, perhaps even a braver thing to preach on than transgenderism. But reading this book has made me realise the necessity of it, has made me realise that without a biological grounding, male and women become empty concepts, and that with the advent of widespread contraception, the fruitfulness that naturally exists between men and women when they come together as one flesh, as Jesus speaks, that fruitful complementarity gets erased as man and woman essentially use one another for pleasure. And where the union of man and women becomes divorced from the creation and the receiving of the gift of children, then the necessity for marriage to be between a man and a woman and the importance of men and women remaining together for life in marriage because of marriage being the stable foundation and the stable society in which children are to be brought up, all that falls away. So things are much more interconnected than sometimes we might think. And so if I'm brave enough, um, then I will preach on contraception more often. Um, I shall try and do it with charity, remembering the, the difficult situations that make people feel like this is their only choice. But difficult truths do sometimes have to be spoken out of love. And so to close today, I want to uh, play out to a, a piece of music by a uh, St. Hildegard of Bingen, um, who was declared a doctor of the church by Pope Benedict. Um, she was a, a, a nun, um, but exercised a great spiritual motherhood and also gave a, a profound gift to the church in her teaching about cosmology and the interconnectedness of everything. <laughs> 